Welcome to the Mindful Dietitian interview series. I'm Fiona Sutherland, dietitian from Melbourne, Australia and director of the Mindful Dietitian. Please join me as I interview dietitians from all over the world who are experts in health at every size, the non-diet approach and mindfulness-based practice. These are a collection of interviews by a dietitian for dietitians and nutritionists so that we can build a strong community of wonderful professionals who share an inclusive vision of well-being for everybody in everybody. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi everyone and welcome back to this next episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast. This and all podcasts can be found on the Mindful Dietitian website which is www.themindfuldietitian.com.au. As well you'll find there updated resources, activities, events uh, and I'm so excited about 2019 because there's lots more to come and so I'll be filling you in about that along the way as things unfold. It's all very exciting. So I'm so glad you're with me today because recently I spoke to the passionate and absolutely lovely Laurie Short-Zamudio, Zamudio, is from Ontario in Canada. So Laurie is a registered dietitian with over 10 years experience working with clients with eating disorders, type 1 diabetes and various gastrointestinal issues. Through her lived experience with Crohn's disease and advocating for the health at every size and non-diet approaches, Laurie Laurie has assisted her clients in restoring their relationships with body, food and movement. Laurie generously shares her experience and vulnerabilities through her regular blog posts at Unapologetically Me RD. And these blogs are all attached on the bottom of uh, this podcast episode. So you can find them there. They are well, well worth a read. In addition, Laurie, alongside colleague and friend Corey Koska, run the Nourish Circle community, which brings together like-minded dietitians for professional development opportunities in the Ontario area. Laurie teaches at college level at a large school in the Toronto area and in her spare time you'll find her spending time with her children running around town literally. I saw I think it was on Instagram and Facebook last week that Laurie ran a marathon which is something that I would like to want to do but the truth is I actually don't really want to so I've got the utmost admiration for people that are able to run that far my goodness me. And she also, like many of us, loves drinking coffee. So for this episode and any episode of the Mindful Dietitian podcast, you will see this on the podcast's link on the Mindful Dietitian website. Uh, on that website, you'll also find uh, activities and resources, events. Uh, there is a lot more coming in 2019, which I am very, very excited about. So you'll be hearing about this as it all kind of unfolds. So some I'll leave as a surprise and um, and some I won't. I just can't help myself. I have to kind of do the, the, the spoiler at the end. I'm sure you will forgive me and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. So again, thank you so much for being here with me today as I chat with Laurie Short-Zamudio. Hey, Laurie, it's so wonderful to have you here. We've been um, trying to plan this for a while. So today is the day that we get to chat. Um, so welcome. Well, thank you. I'm so, so excited. I can't kind of contain myself, to be honest. I've been all day long being like, so is it 10 o'clock yet? Is it 10 o'clock yet? Is it 10 o'clock yet? So. <laughs> 
<laughs> Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. Uh, it's awesome. Um, so, Laura, you and I have been crossing paths um, both liter literally and figuratively for a number of years now. And we had the great pleasure of hanging out and meeting in Chicago um, earlier this year at our Body Image Workshop, which was such a thrill to finally connect. And for anybody listening um, who who wonders whether live workshops are kind of worth it, um, then I would say both as a participant and as a host, there's probably nothing like doing a live workshop. What, what would you say, Laurie? Oh, oh that um, I would have to say was potentially, if not in the top five, the top two of things that happened this year um, in my life. It was so amazing to meet people in real life, not just um, yourself and Marcy, which was amazing, um, but also the participants, like just voices I've heard on podcasts where I'm standing in line to get a drink and I'm like, turn around and be like, wow. Um, and just the wisdom in that room for those two days blew me away. It was the quite potentially the most inspired I've ever felt on a plane ride home. I think I wrote and wrote and wrote um, group outlines and um, blog posts. And it was just, it was so amazing. And just the energy and um, the spirit, like it was beyond anything I could have ever hoped for in a, in a workshop. Um, and it was super cool to meet you in real life. I, um, I was talking at home. Um, I think I told you this as so much about going. And I was like, I said to my kids, it's like meeting the superheroes of the body image world. And my son was like, oh, you're not going to meet real superheroes. <laughs> like, yes, I am. I'm going to meet superheroes. So I took a picture with you. And I was like, see, I met a superhero. So oh, it was very that's cool. hilarious. Oh, my goodness. Oh, well, I've. I feel very special because if my kids even vaguely regarded me as superhero, then I would be stoked. <laughs> stoked. So, over here in Canada, there's two children that actually think you're a superhero. So there Do you, you know go. what? I'm going to take that. I will take that all the way because there's two children here. <laughs> yeah, they're not, yeah, not so much. <laughs> I get it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, yeah, it's really interesting because in this day and age, you know, where there's so much online learning that, that's happening, it's, mm -hmm. um, it can feel really tempting to kind of fill your PD calendar full of online stuff. And online stuff is, is fantastic. And um, it's certainly an opportunity for us to do self-paced learning in a way that, yeah. you know, fits in with our timetable. But there's something, like there's a reason why, you know, like I, I travelled literally across the other side of the world to be yes. in to be in that room, you know, with mm -hmm. people and why I, for the past couple of years, uh, I will 100% recognise my privilege in doing so, why I've travelled quite far to attend workshops mm -hmm. and attend um, conferences. So um, what, how do you kind of do your training? Do you do a, like a mixture of both online and in person? Um, how do you do that? I do a lot of online right now. Um, and that is basically because um, the position I was in before, for um, working where I am now, we didn't have much um, continuing education funds. Mm -hmm. So um, I would get to go to the um, NEDIC conference every other year, which is biannual in Canada. It's the National Eating Disorder Information Center Conference. Um, and I really wasn't going to too much else. So any learning that I wanted, I just did on my own, which is kind of how I found you was looking for online learning and stuff. Um, and now because um, I'm technically contract where I work, um, there isn't a lot of um, professional development for that. So I 
when I go, it's out of pocket, take time off work and go. Um, and so I usually do it when I think it's something that's going to be very much worthwhile. And I can honestly say your workshop was. Um, yeah, so I do a lot of stuff online. Mm. Yeah, it kind of, and especially depending on your phase of life and where you're living, because I mean, Canada is not dissimilar to Australia in, in in the sense that unless you're really working in a major city yes. or in a major mm -hmm. regional area, you're not mm -hmm. necessarily going to be in a community, you know, where you can just um, get together frequently yeah. in person you know yeah. um and i wanted to i wanted to ask you you've set up this amazing community group with um with Corey koska so do you want to tell us a little bit about nourished circle so nourished circle is um just like you said it started actually Corey koska is a dietitian who um is very haze informed and non-diet and mindful into mindful eating and we went to university together um, and have kind of like ebbed and flowed through each other's lives. And then recently found out we lived very close to each other. Um, and she does online trainings, um, for dietitians. And she asked me to be a, um, a module, uh, speaker for one of her trainings. And we were sitting there talking about it. And then somehow out of that conversation came, we should do a podcast. We should do retreats. We should form a company. <laughs> we should do this. Amazing. Um, yeah. So we were very um, in sync with each other, which um, it, actually I made a comment when we did a retreat recently that it felt very similar to the way I felt you and Marcy worked together. Um, it was, it felt very seamless and like one could easily pick up after the other. Um, so we last Friday ran our first um, body image and mindfulness retreat for a day um, and had 14 um, haze informed dietitians come and learn. And um, it was so amazing uh, all day long. I kept going, can I just do this all the time for real life? Um, it was so much fun. And so we're working on a podcast. We've recorded um, three or four episodes so far and we're working on some more and we're just trying to talk about different things that have come up in our training, um, our professional life, our personal lives, how we deal with, you know, trying to live our Hayes values outside of work and inside of work as well. Um, and raising children in that context. Um, she has children as well. Mine are a little bit older, so we're at different phases. So it makes for some really interesting conversation. Um, I actually have reached out to some people I met at your workshop to come on. So it's been quite cool in that respect. Um, but yeah, so the Nourish Circle is just starting to grow and hopefully um, grows a little bit more every few months. And yeah, it's really exciting. Um, it's really inspiring when you meet someone who's thinking very similarly and, and she gives me a kick in the ass quite frequently that I just need to get out there and do more. So um, she's been really good for me in that respect. Um, but it, it's just so refreshing to have that kind of similar ideas because I haven't really felt that community close to home. Mm -hmm. So it's been quite wonderful. And actually between the two of you and having these, having these nourished circle retreats, you're able to then foster that community within your yes. local area and to be yeah. able to share that in a broader way. So, so what's, what are your thoughts around 
you know, the power of community um, in, in a big, big country that's very, very spread out. Um, yes. You know, what, what do you think is the power of community within? I, I feel personally it's um, finding my tribe is something that I've been saying a lot lately. Um, I felt very different for lack of a better word as a dietitian. And I have always felt that way that I used to always joke that um, I, I used to say dietitians of Canada is going to kick me out one day because I just don't think this way. Um, but I, I never fully under, I not understood, but it felt comfortable with a lot of things and the power of social media and the internet helped me find that tribe. And then it has helped me realize that there's some people closer to me than you know, just Australia or Boston or UK or whatever. Right. Um, so that's been, um, so amazing because I think when you realize that you're not thinking differently, um, that you might be thinking differently from what culture is thinking, but that there are other people who have similar beliefs and similar, um, thoughts that it makes you feel stronger and more like you can go out and conquer the universe with it. Um, which I would definitely say um, finding community in this area has has made me a lot stronger in um, or braver. I think a lot braver is probably more what I'm looking for in being able to voice my thoughts and opinions and and back them up and know that there's other people that can back them up. Um, and it, it's amazing. I think I'm, I quite love the communities that I have found um, and the people I have been fortunate enough to meet, even just virtually. Um, there's so much wisdom and beauty in what people say. And, um, and I only know my own lived experience. Um, and I say this quite frequently that I, um, being born a white um, female in a middle class era, um, I'm uh, cis, heterosexual, I, I just have that lived experience. I don't have anything else. And to be able to find a community that can help teach me um, other people's lived experiences so that I can work in the best area um, and, and do what needs to be done from my, from my place, I think, um, has been so amazing and so helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing about the health at every size professionals community is how generous people are, yes. you know, because we all mess it up, um, you know, kind of it's, frequently, really. But it's one of the only, it's one of the only communities that I've ever worked with that um, people, they admit they made a mistake and they talk about it and they do better. And they try to do better. It's not just a, yeah, I wasn't really wrong. Someone told me to do this wrong or whatever. It's, no, do you know what? I didn't know. And now I'm going to learn or I'm going to try to do better. It's, it's so amazing. Mm-hmm. Like, so amazing. It's really, um, in so many ways, it's the epitome of leadership. Yes. Yes. It, I never thought of it that way, but that's so true. Mm. Um, and it, it's interesting if, it's a group of leaders that don't have what I guess is stereotypically thought of as leaders, like a, a single person leading. It's a, it's a community. It's a group. It's, um, it's everyone almost is like leading with not a lot of people behind. Like it's, it's just so beautiful. Mm, It's a, it's a lovely, generous, warm space where we can all feel willing 
to give things a go um, and knowing people have got your back and knowing yes. that you care. That's the thing is, yeah. you know, when we, when we have a foundation of, of, of caring and, and also acknowledging that even the most caring people can also mess it up and can also act in stigmatizing ways and can also, you know, completely put our foot into it and accidentally or, or, or unintentionally do harm, which yeah. impacts others. Um, I think you summed it up beautifully, Laurie, when you said, you know, it encourages us to be braver. And I tell you what, if, you know, just taking our profession for, for example, if we're going to, you know, really make some strong shifts within, within our profession um, and the influence that our profession can have in a broader sense, then we're yeah. going to need to be really brave. I totally agree. Um, and I fully admit to not having been brave when I first started as a dietitian and did that head nodding, as I was told, kind of um, behavior, because that's pretty much how I think I was trained. Um, and then realizing that I didn't agree. And it's, t I don't know, I've been practicing for like 13 years now. It's taken me 13 years to get brave. And I, I still think I need to be braver. <laughs> um, but there's that support now that's just so incredible. So, Yeah, there's some, um, it can sometimes feel a bit overwhelming can't it, when you think about, you know, um, diet culture and how it and how it really um, harms so many people. And these are people that see us in our office, that are the living in our communities. Sometimes they're in our families and, yes. um, you know, and to, to be able to balance that, the, um, I guess we call it rage, don't we? The rage. Yes. <laughs> yes. You know, there's compassion. lots of rage. <laughs> yeah, there's lots of rage. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm working on the rage compassion kind of balance right now. Me too, actually. I'm like, there's some days um, I'm like, I am so angry and I just don't know what to do about it. And that's when I usually sit down and just pound out things on my keyboard. Um, but the it, once you become aware of being diet culture, you can't unsee it. It's It's everywhere and it's so pervasive and I didn't realize I grew up so steeped in diet culture until I was in my thirties. And then all of a sudden it was like, Oh no, that's what that was. It was, it was so normalized that I didn't realize I was in it. Um, and it's funny. I, I've started using the analogy of um, diet stew as opposed to diet soup, because I feel that stew is thicker and it's harder to move through and you get stuck in vegetables. Um, sometimes like you will get stuck under a potato. Um, I love it. And, yeah. And it, but it's, um, it's so hard to get out. Of, it's so thick and it, you can't see. And it, and it's amazing to me, like even just general comments or, just food comments or exercise comments it, and no one even bats an eye. Mm. Like it, it just blows me away. It's mm -hmm. you're, we're supposed to be discussing our lunch. Like when we go out for lunch and, Oh, I should just get the salad or I, you know, I'll be bad today and have dessert. And mm -hmm. then I go off on my really, you know, when did food become a moral issue? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I, I'm not sure my friends really, well, maybe not my close friends. They all know the way I am, but um, people who are just meeting me get a little thrown off eating with me for the first time. Um, <laughs> because I, I, now I just, I don't want to listen. Mm. I just don't want to sit there and nod my head. Absolutely. And so what you're describing then is what I've come to understand as what we would call disrupting. Yeah. 
you know it's yeah. it's and we don't we don't have to disrupt in ways that are in people's faces or that are you know aggressive or um disrupt just being disruptive is in so many ways it's a way that we set our boundaries that we say what is okay and what is not okay it's really speaking our truth isn't it yeah, um, yeah. and disrupting that narrative yes and with having children i didn't want them hearing the same kind of dialogue and stories. And, um, and I just wanted to be so like that. I drew a really hard boundary around that. We don't have diet talk in the house. We don't have diet talk when they're there. And um, my oldest is um, in competitive gymnastics. And to be honest, um, I was terrified the amount of clients I've had from gymnastics um, in my career. And then I was just like, okay, I think my path in life has been to get you through this. So this is just the way we're going to do it. And um, so we talk about, you know, the fueling her body and the food and the energy and the, how do you feel walking around in a Leo um, or leotard, I guess, um, for people who aren't in the gym world um, all the time. And, you know, how do you feel when, you know, you have to present yourself in a certain way. And, and so it's, good because we have these talks and then she'll see something on TV and she'll say, Oh, really? Do they have to make that comment like that? Mm -hmm. So I know she's listening. Mm -hmm. Um, and mm -hmm. so, um, but it was that same thing. Like I was, um, I'm now doing some nutrition stuff for the gym and I'm very much like, you know, I don't talk diets. I don't talk this. We don't talk bodies. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I think it's good. And I've decided that, you know, it might've taken having children to have that strong voice, but if I needed that, then I might as well use it. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, and draw that line and, and be very um, adamant. And it, it's, I've even seen it with just even like the way my husband talks or my parents talk, they've, they're changing dialogue as well, just because, you know, it, it's, it's the little things, but I, I think it has a ripple effect. You start yeah. in the home, it goes out and goes out and, at least that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what I've noticed in, um, you've written some really incredible blogs lately, Laurie, oh, and um, and for anybody that wants to take a look, the uh, website is www.unapologeticallymead.com. I and know. Then, Could I have picked something that wasn't so hard to spell? Laurie, I know. <laughs> what are you thinking? I know. I actually, Jeez. a student said to me one day I was teaching and she raised her hand and she's like, if you ever write a memoir, you need to call it the unapologetically me RD. And I was like, Ooh, I like that. And then I took it. <laughs> and then you I didn't think about it. I actually say. love it. I actually oh, really, really love it. Except for when you've got to like say it aloud and I'll spell yes. it. <laughs> yes. Every time I spell it, I literally have to single like poke yes. with my finger because I can't type it. <laughs> yes. Actually, I did a whole webinar with it spelt wrong on the logo recently oh did you yes I did <laughs> and it was yeah Welcome I, to being I, human I know I'm like wow you really should edit things before you <laughs> note to self yes so in future reference there's a t there's a t got it yeah. got it um so I've, I've noticed in quite a few of your more recent blogs which we'll kind of get into in a sec that there is a a, a new emphasis on language, you know, which you, um, 
I know that language has always been important to you, but I saw it, I've seen it particularly in your more recent blogs where you've really yeah. emphasised, um, you know, how important it is the way that we express ourselves and the language that we use. So I'm curious to understand a little bit more about how you've come to understand the the, the place of, of language and expression and, and how your kind of language has changed over time. Um, I think it's been a very... I, I wish it went a little bit faster. I feel like I've been very slow and I've been talking about language for such a long time and still not maybe doing it as well as I wanted to. Um, I really started to realize the impact of words um, when I was actually fairly young um, and ta just talking about um, people with mental health issues and the words that they used and how I, it didn't like the way some people would use words that they would once associate with one thing, but then use it in like a jokey connotation later. And it, so I was fairly young when that started to bother me. And then moving into um, dietetics and my first um, job outside of internship was in a child and adolescent eating disorder facility. And I really started to see how um, the way we talked about things and how it was interpreted. So, for example, when you talk, when someone talks about fat in food, you can be talking about the chemical compound or of fat, but the way it's internalized in the person across from you is totally different. Um, and so, how to unpack all those words and what it meant. So, I, I think I've been on this kind of path for a while, but I've really, um, I honestly, I think in the last year and a half, two years, it's really started to drive home the more I listen to a lot of podcasts, to be honest with you, and I listen to the language of um, other people talking about their lived experiences and what words mean to them and how it made them feel when people would say certain things. Um, and it's, it, it just, it started to really resonate with me that I, I am, I am so much more than, um, I'm so much more than what I am, but it, if I'm not saying it properly, then people will never realize what I'm trying to say, which is kind of what's happening right now. I don't know if people are going to realize what I'm trying to say. Um, it's, it, and so then it just became so big for me that it was like, no, we need to talk. When we talk to someone, um, for example, I wrote a series on diabetes, which I know you, you will talk about soon, but um, when we talk about pinching um, to give an injection, when we say, oh, you know, you just got to grab a little bit of chub, what does that mean mm -hmm. to the person that you're saying it to? Mm -hmm. um, and you, the, like a, nur a nurse saying that, for example, might think, oh, look, but I'm not saying we're pinching your fat. It's like, yeah, but what are you saying? You're just using a different word for it. Mm -hmm. um, and just really kind of coming down to what it is and how the people, anyone who's listening or reading, listens to those words and how they interpret them. It, it's not necessarily... I need to be more aware of what words mean to others, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. So, so what you're really saying is, you know, there's a difference between the expressed words and the received words. So yes. we, so we might say, you know, what, what we might, the words we use, we may receive as being totally innocuous. Yeah. But that the words received by somebody else, particularly on the back of maybe being in a stigmatized body or having um, a marginalized experience, um, lived experience, yeah. Yeah. that those words mean something 
really different. And the thing that that makes me think of, Laurie, is that, you know, it's not uncommon that we that we then have the uh, very privileged reaction of, oh, well, I'm not allowed to say anything then. You know, is there nothing yes. that I can say right? You know? Yes. Yeah, which so, No, there's lots of words you can say right. Mm-hmm. It's intent versus impact, right? Like what is the intent of what you're saying, but what is the impact of what you're saying? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's something that we've lost. Um, and I think, um, I think like when there, uh, there's so many sayings or whatever that um, come off marginalized and stigmatized bodies that we're just like kids on the playground mm-hmm. terms, but then we grow up and still use them. And what are we teaching and what are we saying? And, mm-hmm. and that's when I've started to become really much more aware and trying to make others aware mm-hmm. of the impact of their words. Yeah, absolutely. And there's so many ways that, that we can, I guess we can, um, you know, we, it, it would not be unusual that we might feel, feel bad if somebody mm-hmm. calls us in. So a calling in would mean saying, hey, Laurie, um, I'm not sure if you realise this, but um, I'll give you an example. Hey, hey Laurie, um, you know, um, when, you, when you write um, person with obesity instead of obese person, that's still really stigmatising. Um, mm-hmm you know, I hope that's helpful for you. to. So that's called calling in. That, yes. That's like, hey, it's a bit of a gentle nudge as yeah. opposed to, you know, uh, calling out, which is a little, which is not, um, I don't think calling out is unfair either, but yeah. it's, um, it's a little more, more aggressive. aggressive or a little bit more, um, what would you say, a little less gentle. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Look, there's a time and a place for both. Yes. Oh, for sure. I 100% agree with both. Um, and I think, and it's funny, um, uh, we, when I worked in diabetes, we would talk about saying there are people with diabetes, not diabetic, right? And it's the same thing. We'd spend a lot of time talking about there are people with diabetes or there are people with anorexia. They are not anorexic. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I think it's really important not to label people mm-hmm. um, by the diseases that they have because yeah. we are not just one thing. There are many, many things. There are so people many. living with yeah mm-hmm. yeah so if it's okay because it's a beautiful segue um <laughs> you have also written a lot about um being somebody with uh, living with a chronic disease yeah. and then how yeah. you've kind of come to understand the intersection of health at every size and non-diet approach and mnt um and yeah. body image <laughs> yeah. all those things and and yeah. how they intersect with living with chronic disease. So I'm wondering if you, you can start wherever you like um, okay. because you, you write and express yourself so beautifully. I've, I've learned a lot really from listening oh, to, you. you know, what you've been talking about and it's, you know, and as we know, you know, health at every size and non-diet, non-diet approaches, they're, f- they're for everybody. They're not just for certain yes. people. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, I have um, Crohn's disease and I was diagnosed when I was 20. So um, actually this October, so this month, I will be my 20th anniversary of having Crohn's disease. Um, I should have a party. And I, party. I actually, that wasn't sarcasm. I actually should have a party. No, definitely. Um, yeah. Um, and it's interesting because 
um, having lived with it for this long, I would, I often say I would never wish it upon my worst enemy, but I would never change having it. Um, I think that being diagnosed with this has taught me more about myself and life and people than I could ever have learned otherwise. So I'm actually quite grateful um, that I've had this experience. It was not the best diagnosis at the time. I was misdiagnosed for a few years um, um, with actually, interestingly, general anxiety disorder and depression. Um, and they thought that um, the stomach problems were panic attacks. Um, and it wasn't until my uh, small intestine was actually almost completely swollen, shut, inflamed shut, that we discovered what it was. So I was actually quite ill when I was first diagnosed. Um, and really, at the time, started to go through this process of Crohn's disease is an autoimmune disease, so my body attacks itself. What did I do? How, like, what did I do to get this? How how did I eat or how did I act? Because I always felt so um, intersected with food because food made me feel terrible. Um, and, and really not liking my body very much at that time. Um, and um, was going to school for nutrition um, and kind of wasn't sure if I really wanted to do that anymore because now I just didn't like anything in the world. Um, and I didn't want to be... Um, learning about what to do with healthy people um, because I felt like I was so unhealthy um, and nothing I could do could make me healthy. Um, and then I had one um, of my, I wrote about this experience, but one of my first experiences of starting to realize that you can't judge a body's health by how it looks came from, I had a bowel resection. So I had three feet of my small intestine removed um, and you can't eat post-surgery until you get bowel sounds back. And I was seven days until I had bowel sounds. They didn't put in a pick line. Like they didn't do any um, uh, uh, TPN or anything. Um, I just, I literally lost about a third of my body weight in the hospital. Um, and, and just as a random aside, I still remember that the first thing I ate were Cheerios um, when they did let me eat food. And it was the most wonderful tasting thing I've ever had in the whole entire world. And that kind of just spins into that um, thought of, you know, when we deprive ourselves for so long, like the, the thoughts and feelings that go around food, like it was 17 years ago. And I can tell you exactly what everything in that room looked like when I ate them. Um, but when I was finally allowed out of the hospital and I had 36 staples in my stomach for my surgery, I couldn't really wear pants with waistbands um, because it hurt. So I was buying, I went to the Gap and was looking for overalls because I thought they would have overalls. And the woman commented on how thin I was and how lucky I was. And um, should I edit this swearing that came out of my mouth? <laughs> um, oh, no. no, no, no. You go for it. I was like, are you fucking kidding me? I just had my intestines removed. And she looked at me and she's like, oh, well, you're very thin. And I was like, I can't buy pants here. Um, and then I, I just, I didn't really know what to think because I thought I'm not healthy. I am not my, I lost organs and um, how, how could people think I look so great? And it went on for a while before I actually started to um, heal and um, my weight kind of normalized a bit that people will comment on how thin I was and how beautiful I was. And, and I just, I was in shock all the time. And so um, 
there's that part that I started to learn about, well, I, thin body does not mean a healthy body. Um, I was on um, so many medications and healing from a surgery and not really able to do much. And I was having, I, you know, I don't absorb B12 now because I don't have that part of my body. So I have to take injection. And um, my iron was so low from everything. And, and I just couldn't wrap my brain around this concept of, but I have this body proportion that everyone thinks is healthy. Um, so, uh, there's that. And then throughout being sick for the last, on and off for the last 20 years, I've gone through, um, various times where the, um, anastomosis where my surgery was narrows, um, to the point where, um, I have obstructions with food. Um, and I, every year I have to go get it dilated. So I have to go in and have that done. But, um, it, it makes it so that I, I have to follow certain rules when I eat. I, I know, and the rules that I've just created on my own, um, but they are rules that are, if I eat a salad for lunch, I know I can't really do fiber at dinner because that's too much fiber for my body to handle in a day. Mm-hmm. Um, I crave, um, like I crave fatty meats a lot. And I think that's just my body feels better. Um, when it gets that energy and it, it doesn't have to deal with a lot of fiber. Um, I, I know that if I want to eat, I, I didn't eat fruit for probably five or six years because it was so painful and I love fruit, um, all fruit. And so I now will move around other parts of my meals in order to be able to eat one or two fruits a day. Um, and, and I just, I know how to do it. I don't, I have to, um, I don't really change my breakfast. Um, if I know I'm going somewhere, I will kind of maneuver my eating a little bit. Um, I joke that I know where every single bathroom is in Southern Ontario. Um, and it's just the way I live my life. And then when um, I hear people questioning intuitive eating being about just creating other rules, and I'm like, for me, I just keep thinking, I follow rules. But I would also say I'm very much an intuitive eater. I eat what makes me feel good when I'm eating. I, I, even foods that would quote unquote in some universe be considered healthy, I know I can't or can't eat and I'll move them around if I choose. Or I know that um, I've never had the biopsy for celiac, but I'm very, I can't handle gluten at all. And um, I just couldn't do the, I couldn't handle the biopsy mm. to be honest with you. So once I went you off, have to so, do the prep, right? Yes. And I just, Ugh, um, no. I, I couldn't go back to eating it. And anytime I get, um, gluten, I, I've been, I've actually thought I had food poisoning. Um, I was so oh, sick. Dear. Um, and so I'm like, I know I don't eat gluten, but then as a, a non-diet dietitian, I actually feel like I don't want to tell people that I'm, not eating gluten um, because I don't want them to think, oh, see, you have rules and you talk about not eating with rules. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like I have this very interesting kind of perspective that intuitive eating is eating for how my body needs me to eat. Um, And my body, you know, has been through a lot. Um, My gut has been through so much and um, 
and I eat the way my body needs me to. And yes, there's rules involved. Um, like I'm not going to eat a, even if it's a gluten-free bagel with a lot of little tiny seeds on it, that's just not cool for me. And I know that, and I might like it. And if I really decide that I want to eat it and I might feel not so great, then sometimes I do that, but it's, I do what makes me feel good. And it's, um, it's been one of the most beautiful learning processes to learn how to get rid of the diet, the dietitian rules is what I call them. The rules that we get in our training that we think are like the way we're supposed to teach people to eat. I had to let them go. Mm -hmm. Um, and I had to let them go very early in my disease, which I think made it easier to help me let them go when I started working with clients. Um, and so there was one week, um, uh, there was a fast food restaurant, bread fries that were the only thing that didn't make me feel sick. And I think I sent my husband to that place every day to get two extra large. And I think that's what I lived on. Um, and I'm okay with that. (laughs) And I had enough energy to do what I needed to do. Um, and not feel terrible. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's some people are like, you live off French fries. It's like, yeah, do you know what? Right now that's all I can tolerate. And I am still going to work and I am still, you know, I, I actually, I think it was in school at the time. I'm still writing papers and that's just the way it is. And I came to be okay with it. And then I realized that, you know, all these prescriptive, um, prescriptive diets for whatever, you know, if we're doing it from a place of this actually 100% makes me feel the best I, I need to feel and lets me do what I want to do. Um, I only get one shot at my life. Um, I, I realized that, you know, laying in a hospital room in 23 um, after major surgery, like if um, I only get one shot, so I need to do what I can do to, to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I've never been a person that thinks, Oh, you know, I'm going to live to be 120. Um, I feel very fortunate every day that my body still gets up. So I, I want to have fun and I want to see beauty and I want to see joy. And, and for me, food is part of that. Mm-hmm. Like the, I've had Christmas dinners where all my vegetables were pureed because I still wanted to sit with the family and eat Christmas dinner and I couldn't eat the food, but I was a, like, it was kind of sad, but it was still kind of lovely. Um, you know, we've come up with some really interesting recipes for things. <laughs> um, my mom can puree anything, um, but it's just, it's just what makes you feel good. And I think that that's really important. Yeah. So what's really coming through, Laurie, is this really sense of, um, of compassion for your experience and mm-hmm. also, um, you know, a broader sense. So, uh, I think sometimes we can misunderstand the word flexible, like flexibility means yes. yeah. know, that we can just switch from one thing to another. But what you've really, what you're really describing there is this sense of curiosity about your experience um, and keeping really staying focused on what helps you get the most out of life, out of your days, what gives you energy, what helps keep you well, I guess, particularly with something like Crohn's. Yeah. And I mean, it's so different for everyone too. I mean, I I did um, work in um, a GI clinic for a while and, um, and it was always so amazing to me. Um, A lot of dietitians I found with Crohn's um, when I had Crohn's and I would have to see them is they give me this list of no foods 
-hmm. It was the, no, you should not, should not, should not. And to me, it was so sad every time they did that. I'm like, why don't we just talk about what I can eat and what I want to eat? And um, why does no one ever ask me what I want to eat? Um, I remember thinking that so much. And so I never wanted to do that to anybody else. Mm -hmm. So in every area I've ever worked in, it's always been, what do you want? What do you like? How do you feel? That kind of conversation, because it was so important to never put anyone in the position where they just got handed no list. Yeah. So um, important. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah, long. Like, yeah. Oh my goodness. Yeah. It doesn't kind of help you feel supported or um, mm. like somebody's got your back or that is trying to understand your experience. Yeah. Yeah. It's a bit more isolating really. Yeah. I'm curious, Laurie, to understand if you've been through periods of time, either either personally or as a professional, speaking from either or both perspectives, um, of of grief around uh, around foods or food experiences, and how you've kind of navigated that. Um, oh yes, I can honestly say I've been through a lot of grief around food, um, and. It, it's interesting um, for me because my youngest child um, is also gluten-free and has been since they were two and a half. And I will look at a French loaf longingly and like sometimes get a little like that lump in your throat, like I just want it. And he doesn't have that. I think because he was so young, he doesn't he never experienced French loaf. So it's interesting to kind of think of there's times where I realize I'm grieving food because he doesn't have the same reaction to it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I note, I actually am very conscious of the fact that I want something. Um, but I really, really miss white French stick <laughs> bread. I'm not going to lie. Um, and I remember um, I used to dream about fruit when I wasn't eating fruit, like I would dream that I had orange trees and I would pick them. Um, and I would wake up and feel very sad. And it was quite interesting to me because when I got pregnant for the first time, I went into this crazy remission where my body just, I could eat anything. Um, and I ate fruit all the time. Like I would eat three grapefruits at lunch. Like I would peel them and eat them. And actually the day I went into labor, there was a a fruit bowl on our counter that had mangoes on it. And there was three mangoes there. And I said, well, probably not going to be able to eat these when I get home. So I'm going to eat them all now. Um, and so I ate all the mangoes that were left before I went to the hospital to deliver the baby. Um, because I, I had that point where all of a sudden I could eat something I hadn't, and I was scared of losing it again. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I, uh, I'm grateful that I, I'm able to handle the amount of fiber that I can now in a day. Um, and I hope that it continues, but I'm also very conscious of the fact that it might not. Mm -hmm. So I, I think I enjoy some things a little too much. Like these are the best blueberries ever will come out of my house, like my mouth almost every day. Um, but it's, it's, I did go through that grieving process with, um, a lot of foods and, and even just being able to eat certain amounts of foods. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I'll still go out with people and kind of, you know, look at what they're eating and sometimes feel a little sad, but it's, then I just sit there and go, I'm so lucky I'm sitting with them and talking to them. And I really try to reframe it. Mm -hmm. Um, 
So I did spend a lot of time, but I, I have seen many, many clients go through something similar and I've never had a really great way of helping. Like we talk about the grief, but I, I've never had great advice on how I got through it. So I'm not sure I really have gotten through it, <laughs> to be honest. You explained it so beautifully, you know, oh, what, what you. your experience was, you know, what I could really hear from that is again, that kind of compassionate sense of being with your experience and feeling that sadness and feeling that longing. And then rather than turning away from yourself, you turned in towards yourself and kind mm -hmm. of, you know, it sounded as if alongside that sadness and longing that you were able to soothe and comfort and, and to reassure yourself and to kind of come back to your center and, that's what I heard you kind of say. So I don't know yeah. if that helps. But. Oh, no, thank you. I think self-compassion is huge. Um, I didn't really have a word for it for so long, to be honest. Mm -hmm. um, but now that I'm starting to do more reading and stuff on self-compassion, I think that's um, so true. I also have a very supportive um, partner and he's been with, we've been together since I was diagnosed and um, he um, is so, so good at, you know, oh yeah, we can't eat this, but he'll, we'll eat this. And it's like, you could totally eat that. And he's like, yeah, no, but I'll eat this with you. Right. Oh, so it's, really it's nice to have that, that partner and that buddy to kind of do that. And, you know, he got really good at arguing with doctors and everything. So he's had my back and all of that. And so I think, yeah, having someone who's so supportive in all aspects when you're going through something like this, um, I think, you know, can help more than words can say. Um, because it's a big thing to go through by yourself, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So for for the so for dietitians listening who are working with people with chronic disease and are kind of wondering how this how this all fits together with with non non diet approach, what are some of the um, I guess. I'm not going to put pressure on you by calling it words of wisdom. Let's keep it okay. simple. Let's keep it simple and dietetic, shall we? And call okay. it tips. Tips from tips. Laurie. Oh. <laughs> so what would you say? So is, top is ten tips. Top ten <laughs> tips from Laurie, the unapologetically me RD. Yeah, that's me. Um, I would say um, never hand out a no list <laughs> would be my mm. first thing always, because. As everybody who works in, with chronic disease knows, every human body is so different and reacts to every chronic disease differently. Um, and I think you need to get their story. There's, you find out their story from before they were diagnosed, everything that happened during diagnosis, their, all their experiences with other healthcare providers. Um, that's something that I think we can do more as dietitians in everywhere. Um, because it really, it really um, skews how people view healthcare, I think, when they have certain um, experiences. Um, but then I think if we want to get right down to dietetics is find out what makes them feel good. Find, the, find out what makes your client um, want to eat because and, and be okay and you need to work on if you have to work on your poker face where you just smile and nod and say yes you can eat french fries for a whole entire week i think you need to give them the permission that they need to eat the french fries for the whole week um so one thing i think i was good at my, with myself is giving myself permission to do things that maybe other people didn't think i should be doing um but i think we need to give our clients permission we need to give them permission um i actually once had someone tell me before, if I had to go somewhere that was really important to eat some marshmallows in the morning, 
because it would slow down my gut so that I wouldn't be running to the bathroom. And I was like, that's brilliant. And personally, it has worked at times. Um, but to hear a dietitian say, maybe you should eat five marshmallows before you go out in the morning might sound odd. Um, but I think giving people permission for whatever works in their life, whether it's marshmallows or oatmeal or whatever, um, and, and have them tell you what works for them. And then if you could figure out a way to get that little extra nutrients in a way that in the foods that they can tolerate and enjoy and make them happy, like living with a chronic disease, I find it's always in your head. You, you can't, you can't put it away for 12 hours. Um, you can't, you can't say, mm, we're going on vacation without you. Um, like when I went on vacation to Europe, I literally had to figure out every country that had access to bathrooms and how to ask in that language. Um, you just, you never get away from it. So if you can help someone figure out how to live in a way that gives them joy and pleasure with their eating, I think that that's the most important thing. Oh, I love that. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that because I, I work with people with chronic disease yeah. and I just, ha I'm going to re-listen back to that because I think that's oh. beautiful um, advice. I, I kind of wish we did more of that in all aspects of life is just give ourselves permission to find what we'd like. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess, um, you know, for a lot of us, we, we're working with clients and communities who have been so steeped in diet culture that yes. we don't know what we like anymore. We don't no. know what brings us joy. We don't know what gives us pleasure. And no. so you put a chronic disease or a diagnosis or a disability or an accident or something on top of that. And yeah. goodness me, we, I mean, by we, I mean the global we, we're very underskilled. Yeah. We're very underskilled. Yes. It's hard. Yeah. And there's also so much um, out there on eat this and it will heal you forever. Eat this and it will cure you forever. Um, yeah. Have you come I up asked, against that? Um, yes. I actually had a person who commented on the blog post that I wrote about having Crohn's um, that you should read my book. It will cure you. And I was like, no, it's okay. I'm good. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, because I just, I, I didn't feel like it was kind of, worth going down that rabbit hole. But, um, yeah, I, I've seen, I've heard a lot, you know, take these supplements, take this and try this. I mean, you know, I've tried stuff. Um, and sometimes massages are nice. You know, I will do that. I did it fix some Crohn's. No, but you know, it was a nice break. Um, so I, you know, it, it is what it is, but a lot of people are like, here, take this pill. It'll make it better. I'm like, mm -hmm. no, it's okay. I'll, you know, I trust my doctor in the medic. We together decide what medications I will or won't take. And, um, I've, you know, ruled out some and I've said, no, I don't want this. And the reasons why I don't want this. And, you know, and I think it's the same when we talk about food. Um, you can say, no, I don't want to eat that. It's not, it doesn't make me feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's exactly the same. Yeah. So I think for, for a lot of us who are working, you know, maybe in that kind of uh, that crossover space, but, you know, where, where folks have been very steeped in diet culture and may have actually, you know, been engaging in disordered um, behaviours, yeah. perhaps for long periods of time, yeah. and then have a diagnosis, it's, it, feels, um, it feels like a, like a lot of disentanglement. 
you know, in order to yeah. really be with, you know, compassionately being able yeah. to, I don't love this word, but being able to quote unquote manage, you know, yeah. our symptomology and um, yes. our experience, you know, physical, yeah. mental health experience, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. Yeah. It's almost like we, it's a, it's a fairly, it's a, it's a big job that needs to be shared between a team of people. Oh, for sure. Yes. Uh, 100%. Um, oh, I had a thought and it was what, um, oh, I think, um, one of the other things like, especially with Crohn's disease, we don't look enough at the, the disordered eating that comes mm. with a disease like that. When, um, you start to feel so, um, yucky and you start to take foods out and take foods out and take foods out. And I think there's a lot of disordered eating with this particularly GI chronic diseases um, that we just don't look for. And I actually had a GI doctor once say to me, he's like, as a dietitian, can you explain to me why all my Crohn's clients are um, gaining weight? And, and I don't want to use the words that he used, um, but essentially gaining weight past what they went. And I looked at him and I said, when the gut isn't working, it's not absorbing food. Therefore, it's like being in starvation. And so essentially, it's like being on crazy restrictive diets. And then their gut heals and they eat normally. And their body does what the body does after it's been restricted. And, it go, and he just looked at me and he goes, well, we need to put them on a diet. Oh, my God. Like, we're not getting this at all. Um, but I think that that's something else that we're finding with, um, at least I found anecdotally with GI diseases, is that there's almost this rebound, um, like restrictive weight yo-yoing that we see and they just want to treat it with diets. And it blows me away that anybody thinks that that's what we should do. But especially when we see such weight fluctuations, whether the disease is active or not, um, um, how can you tell if like it's because we're restricting or is active disease or, um, and it's just, it's so it's stuff like that that gets so tangled, um, with, um, diet culture and the way people feel bodies should look, um, and be in the world. And, um, it's like, even, um, before they put me on prednisone, so prednisone is a steroid that makes you, um, you get, um, like very round face on, get very edemic and hold a lot of fluid. Um, the doctor said to me, he's like, are you going to be able to handle walking around the world looking like a uh, larger body person? He didn't say that, but I just feel like saying that. Um, and I was like, will it make me feel better? And he said, yeah. And I'm like, well, then why would I not take it? Mm-hmm. And he goes, well, I always ask the women because you know, they might not want to live like that. And I'm like, I don't want to live like this. Like, yeah. Why do you think that's, but again, it's that diet culture just steeping in everywhere. In oh my off- gosh. Yeah. I, I, what, what he probably should have said is I want to always ask the women because I have fat phobia and I am being a misogynistic asshole. So, yes. and, I'm, and I'm just checking in by the way. Yes. <laughs> is, is that's that what he should have said. He should have said that. Oh and I would have said, sure, I'll take it because I would like to feel better. Yeah. And I had been on, it was interesting because I'd been on prednisone before with a different doctor who said, here are the potential side effects. Um, and he gave me all the side effects, just not the ones that would change my physical appearance. And he said, so I always like people to know whether they want to go on it or not. And I said, yeah, I think it sounds like the right course of action at this time. 
So I'd had that experience where it wasn't tangled up with the diet culture. And then I had the experience where I obviously had a fat phobic doctor. Um, and I was like, oh, no, 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 no. You're just, I don't know what you're doing. Um, give me the medicine. I would like to feel better. Um, and so it, it's so interesting. Like you can walk into an office and get one version or another version, just depending on the, the clinician's fat phobia. Yeah. Isn't that that so interesting how (laughs) practitioners own internalized weight stigma and let's be, let's be real. I mean, we can call it what it is and that is, it's called fat phobia really rather than weight stigma. Um, How influential that can be on maybe the course of action we take, particularly something as pivotal as something like prednisolone, which is just so, you know, if that's going to help you feel better. And, you know, if, if a provider was to say, look, these are some of the potential side effects you can, mm-hmm. you, you may experience. And if one of those is a change in your body, and I'm just going to use a change in your body because, you know, um, yeah. different medications can cause changes down yes. and, and up, right? Yeah. Um, this one, not particularly, but, um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, also in psychiatry, you know, where, mm-hmm. um, you know, some very, very serious um, mental health conditions um you know the side effect is is um quite dramatic kind of weight change and how everybody freaks out about it and and of course this this person who is experiencing really distressing um um you know mental health um you know having very distressing mental health um experiences that um they're just like i just want to feel better i actually want to keep myself alive Yes. Yes. You know, I just want to stay alive. My goodness. Yes. yes. Oh. It's so funny to me because it's like, I'm sorry. Are you saying that the, you think the way I look should trump me mm-hmm. living? Mm-hmm. Like that just blows me away that mm-hmm. people like a medical professional would do that. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, we all have moments of ridiculousness when it comes to that. Like um, I wrote again recently about, um, I started a new medication and I went for my three month follow-up and the doctor told me that my weight had gone up. Um, And I went into this um, and I was firstly, my brain went, Oh my gosh, what have you been doing? Have you not been exercising? I really have a thing for peanut M&Ms and I do eat them all the time. And I was like, Oh, have you been eating too much peanut M&Ms? And I went in this whole thing in my brain and then I got so mad at myself because I was like, why did you decide you needed to change your body? And then I went on this total other spiral. I have no idea what happened in the rest of the doctor's appointment because mm. I was doing all this in my brain sitting there. I, I agreed to a, a scope on December 27th. I'm like, that was silly of me because um, I wasn't paying attention. And it was, I was so upset that I went in this, um, this, diet culture place where I feel like my brain hasn't been in a very long time. Um, and then I was so mean to myself, Mm. um, that I, and as we've already talked about, I used a lot of self-compassion to kind of get through the various points of having this disease that, um, when I went into an area where I've been so angry at diet culture for so long, I got angry at myself. Um, so again, had to really turn inward and kind of work through that. Um, but it also made me realize that you can do work on this and you can learn and you can read and you can talk and you can build your community. Um, but your work is never done. Mm -hmm. Um, I think if we get to the point where we think our work is done, then we actually need to do more. 
um, and we need to keep working. And that was like a big moment for me of going, yeah, like you've done a lot of work and you need to still do work and you need to keep actively doing the work. Um, so again, it was a moment where I was very not proud of myself. Um, but then also I just decided it needed to be another teaching moment. So it just added to the list of things Crohn's has taught me. <laughs> mm, yeah, right. Yes. It sounded, yeah. the, the way you wrote the blog was just, it was so beautiful. It was very heart. It was from the heart. Um, and so vulnerable of you oh. to, to write it. I thought it was so brave, like so, so, so brave. Because oh, thank you. I think, you know, for so many of us working in this space, you know, we, we might like particularly those of us who do live in kind of multifactorial privileged bodies that we'd like to think that we would be able to practice what we preach essentially. And then, you know, your experience, um, you know, which was so beautifully expressed, it seems as though, you know, it was quite confronting and that, um yeah and he kind of laid it on thick paul paul laurie yeah. laurie laid it on thick <laughs> do you know i i never go back and read anything that i write because um when i when i do write a blog i i literally just sit down and type and push publish yeah um so i know there's probably really bad spelling mistakes and grammatical errors um in it because i just i know if i go back i'll edit it yeah nah and, yep, yep, yep. and make it and Terry? Yes. And take out, <laughs> take out some of the vulnerability. But I think that's what, when I decided to start writing, um, it, and it took me a while to get more vulnerable, but it, it was people need to, I, I don't have all the lived experiences of anybody, but I can be vulnerable, which might make other people step outside of their comfort zones. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, and it was the same thing. I never gone back and read that because even writing it, I was like, Oh mean, I was so mean to me. <laughs> and so human, like yes, in, yes. in getting that sense, you know, in that moment, you got a sense of this incongruency almost. And then you yeah. were like, Whoa. And, and in it, I just saw your humanness, like really, to be honest, just, oh. just this, openness to being to having that really full experience and interestingly on the back of a kind of an interesting couple of months where there's been some commentary around dietitians and and health at every size and intuitive eating approaches etc etc I found it so deeply refreshing to to hear your to read about your experiences because again the difference was that you turned back in towards yourself and in the midst of what was quite a painful and confronting experience, you, rather than saying, oh, well, um, you know, X, Y, Z, whether it's, you know, health at every size or intuitive eating or quote unquote doesn't work, you were instead able to recognize was your lived experience and also that we all have this internalized fat phobia that we continue to carry around with us um and all i wanted to do is just give you a big old hug i was like oh Lori, come here thank you you can come here and hug me anytime (laughs) (laughs) i would love to do that my goodness i know it's just a little bit of a trip Um, but yeah, just a little, but I think it was, I think maybe writing it was kind of like giving myself a hug. 
um, and being like, I did that and I'm still okay. I think I say that to myself a lot, actually, now that I'm talking about this, I, I, I'm okay. We're okay. We're all going to be okay. We just have to keep kind of moving forward and doing all the work we need to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even in crazy diet stew. <laughs> crazy diet stew. I love that. I'm going to change that soup to stew. <laughs> And I love that. How many um, brilliant analogies and stories could you come up with, Stu? You know, I love how you said you get stuck yeah. under the potato. <laughs> and then we can make a dumpling one day. Yes. And it's like, it's, it's like a, oh, you have to go around it. Oh, yeah. So yeah. much. <laughs> so many things you could really individualize for somebody is, you know, how do you envisage your, your stew and what, what ingredients have been added to your stew and, you yes. know, spicy or when it's hot or whether it's, I don't know, a delicious or yucky or, you know, yes. whatever. Oh, yeah. I'm coming up with lots of ideas. This is awesome. <laughs> and there's so much we can do with it with diet culture because, you know, there's mm-hmm. and like the exploding peas that turn it all green. Like, yes, so <laughs> that is so that's so and I hope no one listening to this is planning on eating stew right after. And I'm sorry. Yeah, sorry if we've just completely ruined <laughs> your <laughs> stew experience. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Laurie, just um, wanted to express my such huge gratitude to you for sharing um, not only your personal experience today, but also some um, some really interesting pivotal moments in your practice as well, which is, um, I always just find it so um, heartwarming to hear about other people's experience, because like you said, right at the beginning, you know, things that help us to be brave in what can sometimes be a really tough kind of environment, uh, especially, you know, a diet culture kind of embedded environment is um, Mm -hmm. the more, the more we can surround ourselves with other brave people, the braver we can all be. So I just wanted to say so, so much. Oh, thank you. No, thank you. Um, I, I actually, I think it's my community that I found that has made me brave. So thank you for that because you're part of that for sure. Yeah. It's a wonderful place to be. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. It's, 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 um, I prefer it. I prefer my bubble, as I say. Oh, <laughs> when I step outside the bubble, I think, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I know. I know. I, I say that quite often. I'm like, oh, we are not in Kansas anymore. <laughs> no, definitely not. <laughs> yes. yes. And I, I walk around where I work with my proud haze dietitian button on my backpack and my um, fat positive dietitian t-shirt on. And I'm like, just so we all know, this is me. Mm-hmm. You don't need to, you know. You're not going to guess where I'm coming from. Yeah. So. I'm going to put it right in your face. Yeah, I am. And then we can talk about it. Yeah, I need to get myself both of those items, that's for sure. Well, I got very excited that they shipped to Canada, so. <gasps> oh. So they must ship, they'll probably ship to you too. Oh, I'll have to do my investigations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Laurie, thank you so much again. So um, now what is your, how can people find you across social? We've talked about your blog, but across social. Yeah. Um, I prefer Instagram to be a hundred percent honest with you. Um, I'm not really sure why, but it's at, uh, Lori Shorts Mudio RD. So that's at L O R I S H O R T Z A M U D I O R D. Um, nothing I have apparently is short spellings. Um, <laughs> Twitter is at uh, Lulu underscore Zamudio. So it's L U L U underscore Z A M U D I O. Um, I have, um, unapologetically me RD, um, Facebook page, which kind of doesn't have much 
but it, it's a little bit, I'm most active on Instagram. And yeah, that's, I think, all the social that I do, that I try to remember to do. Um, Twitter just has been making me feel yucky lately. It's angry. Mm, it can um, be a funny space. Yes. I, and it's just not anything to do with any of this. It's just the world is just angry right now. So I'm mostly on Instagram. Nice. Instagram's yeah. a well, on the whole, is it quite a nice place to be, I find. Yes, I do. And I just recently, um, I did have it closed, um, but I separated my private and my work. So it's now open. Um, and so I have noticed a little bit different comments since that, but it's still pretty, pretty happy space. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I do that. And just the blog is where I write it. I kind of wanted to write weekly, but um, my brain just doesn't really allow it. So it's usually once every other week or whenever inspiration strikes. And um, sometimes I get really, really angry and I start dictating on my phone while I'm driving home and it turns out on this. But yeah, that, that's basically where you can find me. And, you know, I'm always willing to chat. So yeah, leave a comment. Right. Yes, as evidenced by us in the yes. past hour. Blah, 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 yes. blah, 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 blah. Yeah. Totally. <laughs> I loved your gift thing. I was like, oh, baby falling asleep. That's me. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah, so good. Thank you again, Laurie. I really, really look forward to connecting with you again really soon. And yes. um, yeah, have a wonderful week. You too. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's our episode of the Mindful Dietitian interview series for today. Thank you so much to our wonderful guest and to you for listening. I really hope you enjoyed it. Just a reminder that you can find me over on the website, www.themindfuldietitian.com.au and please join actually quite a large group of wonderful and enthusiastic dietitians on the closed Facebook group, The Mindful Dietitian. The music you hear is called Happiness from Ben Sound, used under the Creative Commons license. Have a great day, everyone.